All week, um, I've been considering the connection between the first reading, Noah and the ark, the flood, and the gospel, Jesus being sent out into the desert by the Spirit to be tempted for 40 days. And I couldn't think of anything. I'm thinking, how are these connected, you know? Okay, you know, the flood, it's an allusion to baptism and stuff like the second reading, but I mean, okay, fine, but there's got to be something deeper. And uh, so what I came up with was Christmas. (laughs) Christmas. Christmas is the key to tying together these two readings. Hear me out. (laughs) Going from from Noah and the ark and the flood, and then Jesus in the desert, Christmas. Okay, here's how it goes. Remember what the flood was about, okay? Remember that right um, right after you have Adam and Eve, and then they have children, and then Cain and Abel, so you have... You know, you have murder right away. You have all of this evil. You know, then you have Sodom and Gomorrah. You have all this stuff going on. And God says, at least this is how we read it in the, in the scriptures, right? God says, all right, where are the righteous people? Well, there's Noah and his family. I'll save them, and I'm going to wipe everyone else out and basically start over. That's how he dealt with human evil. Or at least, and you know, without going into... The, the literal interpretation or not of, of the scriptures, that's a whole different subject. But, but the, the inner meaning here, or what was, what was taken away you know, by the Jews, was that the way God dealt with the evil people is he just killed them all. He just wiped them out. And then we get this reading where the Lord says, I'm never going to do that again. I'm going to make a covenant with you that I will not not again wipe out you know, the, my people, the people that I created. In one sense, that's kind of an easy way out, right? That God could just smite all of the bad people. And there's probably times we've thought about that. Why can't he just do away with all the bad people, right? Because we can always think of really, really bad people that presumably the world could have lived without. The problem is where do you stop? What's the level of evil, right? How far does it go? And, you know, our sense of evil, while being similar to God's, you know, in truth, all evil offends God. You know, what seems incredibly horrific for us certainly offends God, but all evil offends God because we're talking about, you know, we're talking about one who is perfect, one who is perfectly good and perfectly loving. All of it is going to offend God. So in a sense, it was taking the easy way out. You know, God just sort of wiping away all the bad people. I'll start over. But at a certain point, you're basically eliminating freedom of the will. Right? Because you're basically saying, okay, anybody who would ever make a bad decision, I'll just wipe them out. Well, that's the same thing as basically saying nobody can make a, a bad decision. Nobody can, can sin. Nobody can make an evil act because you're just going to be wiped out anyway. So then would we really be doing good if we knew that to do evil meant 
you know, death immediately? Not really, because it would be coerced. Okay, so that's kind of the easy way out. God says he's not going to do it again. But you still have evil. And right away, evil comes back. So how's he going to deal with evil? How's he going to deal with sin? If he's not going to just end the lives of all those who are sinning. Okay. Christmas. He's going to do it through Christmas. Okay, so God is not going to, if you will, sit on his heavenly throne and just smite those who are evil from a distance, and that's how he's going to do away with evil. No, he's not going to do that anymore. Instead, he's going to say, in a sense, I take responsibility for what I created and who I created. So I'm going to send my son instead. I'm going to send my son to be born into evil. Not evil himself, but born into a world that has evil and sin. And I'm going to subject him to everything that my people are subject to. So he's going to be born in this stable, which, you know, we have we bring out the crash and it's it's really nice and everything. It wasn't nice. He was in a barn, you know, a little barn, a little stable with cows, smelly, smelly animals, as opposed to the fresh smelling animals. <laughs> All the animals and all the manure and all the muck. God is born into that. Abject poverty. That's how he's sent. And his life didn't get easier. And his father didn't spare him any of that, you know, difficulty. You know, you'd think, well, if, I mean, all of us, I mean, I don't have children, but, but my family, you know, my niece and ne- nieces and nephew, if I could, in a sense, you know, I'd want to spare them any hardship I could, but then in another sense, I wouldn't, right? I mean, that tension between wanting your children to to thrive and be happy and to have joy, but at the same time knowing that ultimately the only way they're going to find that is through some struggle and sacrifice. So the father doesn't spare his son any of this. He's born into a life of hardship and poverty, and now we hear he's driven out into the desert to be tempted by Satan. God drives his son into the desert through his spirit to be tempted by Satan. And there he fasts for 40 days. You might say, well, he's God, so you could handle it. All right, well, he is 100% God, but he's also 100% man. So every hunger pang that we feel, he would feel. You know, the desire for thirst, he he would have that desire. You know, the desire for the torments to stop, the suffering to stop, and knowing that he had all power at his disposal to stop it. In a sense, the temptation is greater, knowing that you can end it. You know, for us, we have the the suffering and, and the temptations, and we can't really stop it all the time, right? Especially the evil that befalls us. We can't stop it. We wish we could. Therein lies the difficulty for us, but Jesus could have. He could have stopped it immediately. He had all the power at his disposal, but he submitted to it. God submitted to all of that suffering and sacrifice. And of course, it didn't end there. His life didn't really get easier, right? And ultimately, um, Jesus endures his passion. And again, you know, the the common response is, but he was God, so so what, it didn't hurt? He felt everything. 
He felt everything, every blow, every wound. As he was dying on the cross, he even felt that his father had abandoned him. He felt, in a sense, the death of God in his, in his humanity. Where did my father go? He felt complete isolation and deprivation of his connection with his father. Well, why would the father do that? Christmas. Do you remember the name of Jesus, Emmanuel? Remember Emmanuel? You remember the name Emmanuel means God with us. No longer would God be, you know, one who, who stands afar off and just smites the evil. And God also wouldn't just let us off and say, no big deal. Don't worry about it. God said, I am with my people. I send my son to be with my people so that I, in my own divinity, will know their suffering, will know their temptation, will know all of their difficulty. I won't run from it and I won't stay afar from it either. I will enter it and I will be with them. This is a God we have, God with us. And so when we look at, look at our own lives then, you know, here we are in Lent and we're supposed to be, you know, looking at a few things, right? Looking at our lives, looking at our, our deficiencies and our personalities. You know, maybe we're judgmental, maybe we're impatient, maybe we're angry or we're, we're always being victims or we're always, whatever, you know, whatever it is, we all got our stuff. Most of us have more than one. <laughs> you know, whatever it is, we look at it and we say, how can I get better? How, how can I even be saved? Jesus is going to do it. Because Jesus is God with us. Jesus has lived our life. And he has suffered. And he knows. He knows our situation. And he is there for us. And he will get us to heaven. Please stand.